we decide, okay, how can we now responsibly and respectfully introduce technology that helps us produce faster so that we can, um, you know, be more competitive with a price line, make better lines, but then also have our handmade touch. So that expert helped us realize, okay, these are the machines that you need. And so we have this, now our factory is this kind of combination of, we've got all of our handmade tables. So every product you have will have several handmade components, but then, you know, for example, we got a, a heater for our shoes. So like the soles of your shoes will be heated with the glue before they're attached so that they won't fall apart. And it's just these little things that you had to learn yeah. that you needed to do to make the product have this timeless effect. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Julie Colombino Billingham, founder of De Mets. De Mets is a Haitian-owned and operated business that handcrafts high-quality footwear, handbags, and accessories. 97% of all raw materials are repurposed or sourced locally on the island and manufactured in their 100% solar-powered factory. In a country where 85% of the population does not have access to the formal jobs and only 1% of the population is university educated, Julie designed a model using the best practices of the nonprofit and for-profit sector. She incubated a nonprofit arm of the business called Rebuild Globally that provides revolutionary education and paid job training programs to the most vulnerable. Every program graduate is then guaranteed a dignified living wage job at Doma. Under her leadership, the past 10 years have been a dramatic evolution from earthquake recovery to a sustainable and eco-friendly business that was quickly propelled into the world of ethical fashion. Just a few of the partnerships Demat has created include United Nations, Kenneth Cole, Eileen Fisher, USAID, the Clinton Foundation, so many to fight poverty and strengthen families in Haiti and provide customers a fashion accessory brand they can be proud to wear. I was so grateful to have Julie on the show. I have been talking about them um, over the last few weeks here on the podcast because Demet is a partner of the podcast, but I have been wanting to interview Julie and hear her full story of how Demet got started for months and months. So to finally have her on the show is so exciting. And a spoiler alert, I do have a coupon code for you guys to shop Demet. I talk about it in the show, but I'm going to give it to you here now. You can use the code MOLLY for 15% off. And that is D-E-U-X-M-A-I-N-S, demand.com. But you are just going to fall in love with this incredible brand and Julie's story after this conversation. But before I get to my chat with Julie, I just want to thank our other partner of the show, and that's Mama Suds. So are you ready to ditch the bleach forever, but you are having trouble finding a bleach alternative that actually works? Well, you have got to meet the Extra Strength Oxygen Powder by Mama Suds. It actually launches tomorrow, July 15th, 2021. I've had the chance to try it out early and it is incredible. You guys, my clothes get so dirty. My kids' clothes get so dirty here on the farm. We are constantly covered in dirt and chicken poop and just all the things. I'm just being real with you, okay? Our laundry gets pretty gross when we are doing farm work and yard work and just summertime here in North Carolina. And I am loving this extra strength oxygen powder. It just really gives our laundry, that extra kind of boost that you need to really get rid of stains and odors and all those kinds of things. Now, 
The thing is, is that Mama Suds is so creative. Michelle Smith, the head mama, is just incredible. And so, of course, there are multiple uses for the product. So it's not only a laundry booster and stain remover, but also a great scouring agent on any non-porous surface. So if you head to the website, sign up for their email list, you will actually get an email with an early bird special coupon when the oxygen powder launches. Plus you can use the discount code Molly and get an extra 15% off when it launches. So you can stack the coupon codes, save all the money. It's very exciting. Go to mamasuds.com, use that coupon code Molly for the extra 15% off, sign up for their email list. She won't spam you. I promise you're going to love it. All right. On to my conversation with Julie. Julie, I am so pumped to have you on the show coming to us all the way from across the pond in England. Welcome to the show. Oh, oh Molly, I'm so happy to be with you. Well, I have just been such You're a so funny. <laughs> I have just been such a big fan of yours. And um, you know, I've obviously been talking a lot about Domet on the show over the last couple of months. And I just knew that I wanted to have you on to really just dive deep into the incredible um, company and business with this incredible mission that you have built and led and partnered with these incredibly talented artisans. And so let's dive right in, Julie. Let's give us the Julie 101. So tell us who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are today. Okay. Um, well, thanks, Molly. Like, I think I've been as equally excited because, like I said, you are so funny and you have such um, <laughs> a, you have such a great aura. So it's it's so cool to be connected with you. Yeah. I mean, listen, I've I've kind of got one of those crazy stories, probably like every, like all your listeners as well. Um, I was a professional ballet dancer, believe it or not. I did not uh, know that. Yes, a professional ballet dancer that then worked for Cirque. I was an aerialist for Cirque. And that lifestyle really gave me a lot of freedom to pursue other things. And I'm a trained disaster responder. So I could do my work with Cirque or with dancing. And then if a disaster hit, I could deploy, you know, my, I didn't have a nine to five. So I was really, I um, you know, I had that, that great kind of backing. And, um, and then I got a, I got a full-time job at the United Way and then the Haiti earthquake hit. And so it was just a natural instinct to want to deploy as a disaster responder to the earthquake. Now, can I and, ask um, real quick, like... For people that might not know what I mean, I I realize it might sound kind of self-explanatory, a disaster responder. Like, how did you become that? What kinds of things did you do as a disaster responder? Well, actually, thank you so much for asking. I mean, so as a disaster responder, so I actually have a degree at my my master's and I have a master's in nonprofit management with a certification in disaster response. So, you know, when the hurricanes hit or when something terrible happens, we'll be deployed to for logistics support, mostly. And then sometimes it's food management. It's deploying materials and supplies to people in need. I got a lot of training from the Red Cross. So the American Red Cross, I mean, I don't know if they still do it, but back in the day, like 20 years ago. Uh, they used to offer all these free classes. And I'll never forget, I got kicked out of my first CPR class because I made a joke and tried to make out with the dummy when they were teaching mouth to mouth. Fantastic. So I, I didn't really, but then I, but then I like really got into the flow of it. And I loved, I loved working with the Red Cross and I loved what I could learn and how we could help people. And then getting the professional training from, from the certificate program at the University of Central Florida. So that's really what, what disaster responders do. You work together in some of the toughest environments for people who have lost pretty much everything. Mm. Um, sometimes family and friend mem- friends. Um, in the in the case of Haiti, I mean, you didn't meet anyone that didn't lose somebody to them. You didn't, I mean, you were, people lost body parts and, and animals and family members and homes and businesses. I mean, so literally at the lowest of the low. 
And, um, you know, and I always say about Haiti that the thing that kept me there, like why, you know, why I would always deploy to a disaster and then, you know, go home after a few months. But Haiti, I lived there for five years and continue to work there nearly a decade later is because even through that tragedy, the incredible hope of the Haitian people and Mm -hmm. the perseverance to carry on was something that I had never experienced in my life. And I would see the women of Haiti and I always wanted to be more like them. Mm. And I just thought if this is the kind of woman I want to be, this is where I want to stay. And, and so that's kind of, uh, Sorry, I went off on a tangent already. I told no, you. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> I, and it was my fault because I was really curious about just what it looks like to be a disaster responder. So anyway, so yeah, so you uh, you were a disaster responder. You uh, responded to the Haiti earthquake, which so many of us remember. I mean, it's that's one of those um, just I- I- events that is ingrained. Like I remember where I was when when it was, you know, on the TV and all those kinds of things, almost like 9-11. I mean, it's just like, I know exactly where I was when, when I heard about it. So living in that magnitude is hard, is, is yeah. hard to get, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And so you deployed to Haiti and what kind of transpired after that? I mean, you never want to like compare disasters or, or judge anybody going through that situation, but it, it was like nothing I had ever seen before, for sure. Um, by the time I landed, it was 10 days after. And so the rubble was still coming up, like the dust was still coming up off the ground. I always say that it's more of less of what I saw and more of what I smelled and heard mm. that kind of perpetuated, like that still stays with me, you know, kind of like the things that you can still feel even all these years later, because it's, it's hard to imagine. You know, I was just like, like everyone else just doing whatever you could trying to deploy supplies and materials. And 10 days later, I mean, uh, it was mostly medical and, and food. And sorry, it's always, I always sometimes brings me back because I don't think about it often. But um, again, it's just, it was the people. And um, more specifically for my story, a woman who I met in a tent camp who said that she didn't want any bottles of water, that she wanted a job. And she said that in Creole. And at the time, I didn't speak any Creole. But I kept asking people, what does this mean? What does this mean? And it said, she said, white lady, I don't want any water. I need a job. And I just, that like sat with me and I thought, oh, this is why God called me to Haiti. This was, this was, Mm. you know, that was what I needed not to do. That's what I needed to hear. Mm. And so this is our company, Dume, is nothing about anything I did. It was just something about what we all needed to learn from it and then how we came together and built the company together. And the only reason that you're talking to me and not one of my incredible colleagues is because I speak English, (laughs) you know, I mean, and so I, I just get to be the proud voice of many people that have made us what we are today. Yeah. So talk to us about, you know, the beginnings of Demet and what that looked like. And, you know, you have that that moment with this uh, brave woman in a tent camp. And, you know, what? how quickly from that moment did you begin to think, OK, maybe I need to stay here and, and start a business and partner with these uh, incredible people? And how did all of that come about? So, you know, our, our, our history is long, but, you know, we actually started as a charity, um, which is still active today, Rebuild Globally. I have, you know, my first degree is in nonprofit management. I worked for charities. I, I really understood charities. And so what I did was I came back to Florida after about a month of being in Haiti and I sold my house and I quit my job formally at the United Way. And I went back to Haiti two weeks later with about $7,000. 
and, you know, thinking like, whoa, we got all this money and we're going to like fix Haiti, you know, the yeah. very, very, very naive mentality. Um, and I was still so, I was so much younger and had so much more energy than I do these days, but, you know, you really thought like, okay, we can do something. I didn't even know what we were going to do. And I met these other two women who um, were there and they were just incredible. They were working with the Scientologists who did a great job of disaster response. We, everybody called on the yellow shirts back in the day because they wore bright yellow shirts, but they were, they were excellent at disaster response. And they really taught me if you want to get something done on a disaster zone, you go to the top, you go to the heads of chiefs of affairs, you, you know, you go to the top and you get things done. And so these two other women, Kim and Malia and I, we just started collecting things and, and noticing all the problems. Like, why were things not getting to the people? Where were, the, where were the, the stopping points? Why were things moving so slowly? And I mean, you have to remember, we can criticize all we want all this time later. But back then, I mean, communication systems were down. So many people in management died. I mean, there was just, you didn't know who to respond to. You didn't know who to answer to because it was just such wild chaos. So, you know, this is not to criticize at this point. We're, we're way past that now. It was just about, okay, how do, what, what can we do now? And we made friends with Haitian people and that's, and they were the ones that told us what they needed, where they needed to go. And we started getting supplies and hanging out with them and them showing us the rope, showing us the roads and finding out what the need was. And with our charity rebuild globally, we started raising money and we started an education and a job training program. And so I'd heard about, I'd seen tire sandals being made. So that's what our company DMA does. We make sandals out of recycled tires, combining it with genuine leather. And now we've moved into handbags and accessories. But back in the day, it was just this basic old tire sandal, something I saw in Africa five years earlier. And then when we started training, I, I worked with four women and we trained them to make these tire sandals that, you know, I Googled how to make them. And then we realized there were no jobs to be had in Haiti. And that's kind of where the revolutionary moment happened. You can educate and train people, but if there's no jobs, I mean, the country of Haiti to this day, 85% um, have informal jobs. That means no consistent paychecks, mm. no health insurance, no access to a consistency for their families. I mean, that's what we're talking about. So that is why we built Demay and we built our very own factory. And we just thought, okay, what are all these things that are, and that took five years, by the way, Yeah, we didn't build a factory until five years later. So I just fast forwarded through, um, you know, many, many years of trial and error and relationship building and failures and oh, so many failures, so many heartbreaks. But five years later we did, we, we um, opened this factory and it, it's it's become kind of like our saving grace because it's the actual building, it's the actual structure. We we thought, okay, what are all the things that we've had problems with? Oh, we can't get petrol. Oh, we can't. We don't have energy. Okay, we'll make it solar powered. We're in the Caribbean. You know, oh, um, there's transportation issues here. Okay, we'll buy a bus. You know, we just thought about how do we play by the rules of Haiti because we're in that country. We are guests. So how do we you know pay our taxes? How do we become good citizens? How do we help our employees and team members to become good citizens. You follow all the rules. And a lot of people say like, oh, there's no rules or there's, you know, lawlessness. It's not true. There's, there's rules in place. And just because they're foreign to you doesn't mean yeah. they don't exist. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of missionaries will ask us, you know, or, um, you know, they'll, they'll start co-ops or, you know, um, jewelry making classes and say, you know, how can we do this better? And that's, and that's what I will always say is, you know, it's hard to find. It's not easy to follow the rules when you don't understand the language or the culture or, you know, there's a disconnect there, but they are there. And it is our duty and our responsibility to follow those rules. And so you figure them out. And, um, you know, like 
people are blown away by the fact that our team has health insurance. And it's like health insurance has saved three lives on our team, one motorcycle accident, one hit by a car and one from a terrible, terrible case of malaria. So, Mm. you know, health insurance in Haiti exists and it's excellent care that we have. Um, You know, so it's, it's just kind of, we've had to learn, learn all these things over the years. But I think that the, the mainstay, the thing that I heard and the thing that I felt and the thing that called me to Haiti was, you know, when you get to Haiti, I just had to listen. And I had to be humbled because I'm a, I'm an actor. I'm a doer. You know, I always got to be moving. I got to be saving. I got to be fixing. I got to be, you know, and that was not what Haiti needed. And um, I thank God that I realized that that's not what I needed either. Yeah. You know, so to be humbled by everything around me really helped us to, to build this company that I love so much. Yeah. Well, demand means two hands and that is such a powerful name. I love the name of the company. And it really does just go back to the heart and soul of this brand. And that is that each and every item is made with the two like careful, loving hands of a real person with a real name and a real story and a real life and family and passions and we forget that. I think so often when we purchase something, it's this out of sight, out of mind mentality more often than not, where we don't think about all of the two hands that touched this product. We don't think of all of the people that spent time throughout the supply chain, you know, creating this product that we then hold in our hands or wear on our feet or, you know, wear as earrings or, you know, that hold our things as our, our bag. And, you know, so I, the reason I, I kind of highlight that is because I think that it's really important to humanize these things and, and talk about these things because that is where I believe real consequential change happens is when we talk about those things and when we realize those things. So talk a little bit about the people behind, you know, that are that you're partnering with that that are really the heart and soul of this company. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, this is my favorite part. I mean, we've got, you know, a team which is over the years become a family of that has undergone so many different things together. So many challenges, so many, we've had more challenges than wins, but the wins are so good. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess I could tell you like a few stories. Um, My business partner, Jolena, so the company is totally women owned. Um, I learned the business model from a beer company in called Fat Tire. Yeah. And yeah. And so do you know Fat Tire is employee owned? I did not know that. So I was in Colorado on a break visiting a friend and we went on this beer tour and I'm like, everybody was happy. And now obviously you're drinking beer, you know, like everyone. So like, okay, so like of course, everybody's happy. <laughs> like, they were like super happy. And so when I got to like the top, like after the tour, you like end up at the bar, everyone's having a drink. And I asked to the guy, I'm like, Hey, I'm like, what's the deal? Like, why is everybody so happy? And he got, and the guy's like, Oh, well, this is my bar. And he's like, I own it. And he's like, and so does she. And so does he. And so does she. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, we're employee owned. And he's like, so everybody takes like a lot of pride. And and I was like, this is exactly, exactly what I want in Haiti. And my colleague, um, Sarah, who's, who's over there right now, she'll tell you, we had to go through three lawyers and two accountants to allow us to operate our business like this in Haiti, because it's, it was unheard of. Right. 
mom's business. They're like, are you sure? Do you don't know what you're doing? But finally, after a year, we got our business set up the way we wanted to. And so I co-own it and I sell my shares to my colleagues as they become more comfortable with ownership. So ownership wasn't something that was comfortable for a lot of the women at the factory, but right now there's four of us that own it. And as people become, you know, more excited about it and, um, I don't know, more comfortable with it. I just sell my shares. So how and does that, cause I'm curious, that's such a unique model. So how, how does that work for somebody that's like, okay, you're, what you just said is German to me or Haitian Creole. Uh, <laughs> you know, so like, uh, I don't understand anything you just said. So what, do, what exactly does that mean when you say employee owned and how does that work practically? Yeah, that's a great question. And thank you for asking. So essentially, it's a little bit different in Haiti in the States, but the basis is the same. So the so basically, usually a business can be owned by one person or by a board of investors, you know, okay. and that means they own shares and stakes in the company. Right. Um, and so I could have owned the business myself. I could have gone to Haiti, put in all this money and said, okay, Julie Colombino is the owner of Deme 100%. And I just thought, I don't want to own. I, I, first of all, like, I'm not, this is going to sound hilarious, but I've never been into fashion. I still can't sew when I make designs, I staple them and hand them to Betty. I'm like, Hey, Betty, can you make this look cool? Like, I mean, I am not the person that you would think would own or, you know, have ownership in a fashion company. So Jolena was the very first person I met in Haiti. And Joe now she, of course, owns her own house. Her husband had lost his business. He um, had a taxi business in Haiti. It was his taxi was crushed in the earthquake. So they had no income coming in after the earthquake and they, they, um, they'd lost everything. So now they're back on their feet. Joe, they own their own house, of course, their own taxi, but owning a business was something that, and she just said to me, do you think I should do it? And I'm like, I'm like, I don't really know anything about business either. I said, but I went to this beer company and everybody was happy and everybody owned it. And when the business becomes profitable, we all get to share in that profit, not investors and not, you know, not outside people. And so the, the four, the small group of us, you know, um, started talking and we all said, well, I don't really want to take anything from it. I want to hire more people. I want to hire my sister and my cousin and my, you know, and so we, we made an internal pack. We're not a profitable company. So there's not like, this has ever been a discussion yet. You know, we are, we are a company that is you know, slowly growing, right. so painfully slowly growing, but it's amazing that we've been able to grow over the, the last few years. But, you know, the day that comes when we can take dividends, it is going to be the people of Haiti and the people that own that business that will take those dividends. Mm. So that's what it means to be employee owned. Yeah. Um, that was know, a so great look, explanation. Thank you. <laughs> oh, <thanks. laughs> so we look forward to that day when we have dividends. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so you you set up this very unique model in a country where it was obviously unheard of. And I always like to, and I'm sorry if I'm getting you sidetracked, but I think it's important and I think it's a very, um, you know, I think it's a, a worthy thing to, to say like, here's where you started. So you started with just this one product, the leather and rubber sandal. And you started with how many artisans did you start with? It was four, four, four of the four artisans. And yeah, and one non artisan. <laughs> and then it took five years for you to get, you know, basically like a factory. And so where are you now? What does it look like now? Oh, no, it's, it's, oh gosh, I hope you can come see it someday. We have a beautiful factory, all solar powered. And what we did, we got an investment from USAID a couple of years ago. And their, their big thing was they wanted us to create 10 more jobs. And I was like, well, I want to create 10 jobs every year. Our goal this year is to create 300 new jobs over the next three years. So we've mm. got a big goal now, but back then USAID said, okay, we want to make an investment in businesses in Haiti. And if you can create 10 more jobs, we're going to, we're going to give you, it's basically a grant of $50,000. And so 
they said, okay, well, let us bring in an expert and see what are you guys doing? And so they came to our little space back in the day. We, we had this um, kind of like shipping containers. It was an old, old site manufactured that my husband actually um, helped us put together many years ago. And this expert um, said, listen, your space is too small. You don't have enough sewing machines. There's not enough. Like he's like, this is an OCHA certified. So basically OCHA is like a certification for factories that say like, okay, they're safe. They're yeah. lit enough. They have enough space. Da, da, da. And so he said, so USAID says, well, we're not going to make any investment until you meet these certifications. And we're like, uh, okay. So we started, you know, going around Haiti and looking, um, looking at different real estate in different places. And then there was this old building that had survived the earthquake. It had a few little cracks in it, but it was completely vacant since the earthquake. And there, the, the guy that owned the place, Patrick Brown, who's a wonderful man, said, I would love to see industry in this building. And he gave us just this incredible deal. And it was really disgusting. I mean, it hadn't been touched in years, you know? Yeah. And he let us do whatever we wanted to it. And we, the French embassy at the time was being renovated. So we we got all the insulation from the French embassy. We had it redone. And we decided at that time that, you know, we had learned a lot through the years and we had a contract with um, Ron John Surf Shop and we had made sandals for them. And they loved the fact that they were recycled tires. And, and at the time we were even recycling the leather. And then when we got our first order, they said, well, look, we love that it looks recycled, but we don't really want it to be recycled. Or, I'm sorry. They want it to, to be recycled. They don't want it to look recycled. Oh, okay. So I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and I started learning quickly that even though people thought they wanted eco fashion and, you know, and this kind of like handmade thing, they didn't want it to look handmade. They didn't, you know, they wanted the story, but they also wanted the perfection that they were used to based on machine labor and all the, you know, and so we started realizing like, oh, wow, if we're going to be competitive, we have to do a much better job. Hmm. And so we, we decided, okay, how can we now responsibly and respectfully introduce technology that helps us produce faster so that we can, um, you know, be more competitive with a price line, make better lines, but then also have our handmade touch. So that expert helped us realize, okay, these are the machines that you need. And so we have this, now our factory is this kind of combination of, we've got all of our handmade tables. So every product you have will have several handmade components, but then, you know, for example, we got a, a heater for our shoes. So like the the soles of your shoes will be heated with the glue before they're attached so that they won't fall apart. And it's just these little things that you had to learn yeah. that you needed to do to make the product have this timeless effect. And when it comes to a sustainability standpoint, we're like, well, yeah, of course we want our shoes to last. Of course we want our handbags to be able to put whatever, you know, and you want to pass it on to your daughter. Like, of course we want that. Yeah. So it's beautiful. And as much as we value our handmade components, we also thought, hey, there is some really cool technology that we can add to make this company stand out and be competitive in the market because, you know, I almost, sometimes I think consumption is like, you know, it's something that we're kind of just trained to do. We kind of, it's thoughtless, you know, you can go and, and buy something with one click. You don't have to, you don't yeah. have to, it's simple. And we are used to it as people, the way that we live today, we have expectations that will be here within 12 hours and it will be better than you thought it would be. And it would be more sustainable than they said it would be. I mean, yeah. we have these really high expectations of makers and we want to meet those expectations for sure. But we also, you know, we are, we are real people too, right? Like trying to meet these incredibly high expectations and execute with excellence. Because, you know, people deserve that, you know, especially if you're going to yeah. spend this, your, your hard-earned money. Mm -hmm. um, and if we want people to change the way that they consume, we all have a, a part to play in that. Yes. Yes. Preach. Preach. I love <laughs> how you, especially when you start talking about the importance of creating this quality product that people want and that people are, you know, come to expect. And there's pros and cons to 
all that goes along with that and how, you know, we could get into a talk about our consumeristic culture and how Amazon has like ruined all of our expectations as far as what shipping should look like and everything like that. But I think it's a really good and important point to talk about how, especially in the sustainable fashion industry, the ethical fashion industry, whatever buzzword term you want to use, how the importance of leading with a quality product that people want to buy is so important and how maybe 10 years ago you could get away with it, like looking recycled and people would be like, oh, well, I bought this because, you know, but like, but that just leads to pity purchases and your artisans don't want that. You don't want that. That's not empowering. (laughs) Like a pity purchase is not empowering. A pity purchase just is, it's dehumanizing to be honest. And so to create these beautiful products, I mean, I have uh, the crossover slide sandals and I am so biased, I realize, but they are my, I wear them constantly. And I love, not only are they stylish and they go with everything, but I also love the unique touch of the like recycled tire rubber sole and the fact that they don't slip around when I'm walking around. Like, I don't know if anybody else has ever had this problem, but like when you buy a brand new pair of like a lot of times with like leather sandals, the footbed is so slick that then you're walking around and you're like (laughs) constantly in fear of falling and like breaking your hip or something. Those things come with a warning label for that. I know. It's terrifying. I'm like my life flashes before my eyes. But yeah, but I, so I love that it's a quality product that every time I wear them, somebody comments on my sandals and then I can say like, oh, here's where I got them. You should, you know what I mean? Like that to me is the example of this is a quality product that people want to wear, they want to buy. And it also, the bonus is that it was sustainably made. It was made with two hands. It was made by somebody earning a a living wage and, you know, is able to provide for their family and get health care. Anyway, obviously, this is something I get, I get real excited about and real, you know, uh, passionate about. But yeah, you you guys have just led the way and just an incredible way. And so today you you have these incredible goals of wanting to hire 300 new artisans um, or creating 300 new jobs in the next few years, which is incredible. And I know you're going to do it. Oh, thank you. We're saying it out loud right now. <laughs> I know. I'm like abundance, abundance. Abundance. <laughs> just declare. Uh, we, my church just this past weekend, like talked about like the importance of like biblical declarations of just like yeah. declaring what you believe. <laughs> like, And not that like, it's like some like, you know, magical genie thing, but just like declaring. No. And I think the way my pastor described it is like your life today is a lot of it is a result of like the thoughts that you have thought over the previous years. I, I totally believe that. And like what you, and that's why, you know, I feel so grateful for the people of Haiti and what they've instilled in yeah. my life because it, it really is. It's that perseverance because, yeah. you know, and a lot of people say, well, what's the difference between a brand that makes it or, you know, not even in fashion, just in, in anything in general, it's, it is hands down perseverance for you sure. Know? And, and, you know, with all this technology, so now, now because of COVID, like everybody, I'm sure we, we went direct to 
only selling online essentially. Yeah. You know, we lost 80% of our customers, all of our corporate clients, you know, during COVID. So we went direct to consumer. And it's a it's a new thing for me. And so like I'm literally watching, you can see how many customers. So I'm like, okay, today I'm playing for those 52 customers that we had because I know that they have, you know, that's, you know, we've got 400 more people that want to buy Dime, that want to make a difference with their purchase. And I think this is the part that I haven't figured out yet about our brand. And like, I, I, this is where I struggle is that as a consumer, like our choices are so powerful. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, you can say that like, but like literally I'm watching every customer that comes through our shop and like, I'm so grateful for them. I'm like praying for more people like them. I'm, you know, I'm thinking about them and wondering like what they think of our product. And it's like, they are so powerful, but I don't know how to express that to them. I don't know mm-hmm. how to tell them that, you know, like our lives are completely different because you're carrying around our handbag, yep. you know, and it, it's almost, it almost sounds kind of weird and crazy to say like, Oh, like all these, all these things happen because you bought Demay versus whatever. And it's like, but it's so true because I feel it. I feel every purchase, you know? And so I, I'm hoping, um, you know, to be able to do that better is to communicate that better so that people get to know how, how meaningful they are. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's so, oh, that's so important. The purchasing power of a customer is so huge and we take that for granted. And this is something I talk about all the time is how, you know, don't get me wrong. I love Target. Okay. But like the Target CEO is not affected by my purchase. Like if I go into Target, they don't care if I'm buying things or not. Like it's, it doesn't affect them. But when you buy from a small business, when you buy from a family-owned business, when you buy from an ethical or a fair trade business, that founder, that CEO cares. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They are affected directly by that purchase. And a lot of times it goes straight to their inbox and they're like, oh, this person, you know what I mean? Like, I've got the cha-ching on my phone. I'm always like, thank you, Jesus. Yes. (laughs) I mean, when you hear, because it's everything, you know, and I know it's not an easy look. I am also super bit like we all are. I mean, we're all busy. We all have a million things going on. We, and like the, the desire for things to be easier, like everybody wants that. So I get it. It's harder to find us. It's yeah. harder to find, you know, farm to table. It's harder, right? It's not, it's not easy. And that's why yeah. I'm so inspired by those who purchase from us or yeah. that purchase any from anyone in this yeah. industry. I'm inspired by um, their commitment to that because I know that it takes an extra second and an extra breath and an extra thought process. And that means something. And that's yeah. why I'm saying like, I don't know how to share that with people, but like, it's so real yeah. that I wish we did that better. So here you are today, you've got this dream of 300 new jobs that you're creating. Um, And I think I cut you off earlier when I because I got sidetracked. Uh, (laughs) That's just what I do. I'm sorry. Um, About so where you are today. So how many like what's what does you know, I know that you went mostly direct to consumer through COVID. But what does the business, you know, look like today? How many people do you guys have employed and all that kind of thing? Okay, so there's 40 of us, 40, awesome. yeah, 40 of us that work. You know, we are so grateful. We didn't have to close during COVID. So we were able to get some mass contracts and government contracts. And we had to abide by the rules, you know, operating yeah. at 30% capacity. But, and even though we pay our taxes and we're good citizens, you know, the government wasn't set up to support us during COVID the way yeah. that hopefully some small businesses in the States were supported. I mean, I, I hope and pray that everybody got some sort of support. So we were able to do some fundraising and all of our staff, the, the 70% that weren't working during those six weeks were able to get unemployment. So we are so grateful for that. 
And that's, that's awesome. kind of one of the, the pros of being a social business, right? Yeah. You you can, you put your people first. And so no matter what happens, even a global pandemic, you figure out how to take care of the team and the family. And yeah. so, um, so we're so, so excited that that was able to happen. And, um, you know, we just, we did, we had to change our business model. So we used to do a lot of corporate and, you know, um, wholesale orders. And now it's just more direct to consumer. So it's like those reviews, if somebody purchases from us, like that review matters. I mean, things that the, the things just matter so much um, hearing what people think. I mean, it's a gift anytime we get feedback, good or bad, right? Because we're learning too. So if someone says, hey, you know, this stitch line, you know, you need some work. You're like, oh, thank you. Because that's great feedback. Or, hey, I really wish this wasn't gold. I wish this was silver. Like, excellent. You know, like this does matter because um, not only are we a brand, but we own a factory. So we can literally make anything that we want. That's incredible. And I know that you guys have expanded your product line to, you know, you started with these beautiful sandals, but now you have expanded into accessories and gorgeous leather earrings and leather bags. And so what has that looked like for you guys? Yeah, you know, that came from one of a former colleague, Annie, who had this idea, like, we didn't want to waste anything. And so leather scraps, you know, obviously is is something. And so that's where our famous feather earring came from. It was our first jewelry product. And it is by far our most popular. And it was just made because we didn't want to waste anything. You know, we're not a zero waste company, but everybody wants to use every little bit as much yeah. as you can. And then from that, you know, making small leather goods and handbags, then, you know, men were like, well, we want something and we want a laptop sleeve. And it would literally be from customer feedback. Well, oh, I really wish we had this. It's something like I'm really excited about. We're launching our whole fall collection. So we've just finished, like we've just finished the design process and we're going into photography and all this right now for our new collection. But something that um, people have been asking us for about a year is a women's wallet. And I'm super pumped about it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So we've got a new wallet and we've just got a a whole new collection of of leather goods. And we started partnering with a different, with a different tannery. So we're working with um, not only a tannery in Haiti, which we used to source everything from Haiti and the island, but we found a tannery that it's one of the best tanneries in the world. They recycle 60% of their water and they are environmentally friendly. They do everything that they can to, you know, leather, leather can be a controversial item, but holistically using the whole animal is also, you know, a a point of discussion. So I know people feel passionate about this, but we're just proud that we're working with a tannery that's also solar powered. It's called the FARC and it's one of the best. Um, They recycle their water and they, um, they use the whole animal. And I, you know, Mm. I always find that there's something kind of, you know, I always say, well, we're kind of like Native Americans, you know, we try, we try to honor the entire being using yeah. the horn for our jewelry and belt buckles and, um, you know, and just trying to make accents from the tire and the inner tube that we recycle from the roads, you know, just trying to say, okay, what is around us and how can we use it, you know, and fulfill our mission to make high quality goods, but also be respectful of the, what's around us. Yeah. Um, and so that every piece can be timeless and last well. So yeah, I'm super excited about the new launch. And then we're, we will be launching um, next year, an entire new line of footwear that we've been working on. Yeah. So I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, well, Julie, I, like I said, I'm just such a huge fan of yours and the work that you guys are doing um, in Haiti and beyond and how you're impacting just so many people. And you're really creating, you're setting a precedent for what this industry can and should look like. And um, so I just think it's amazing. So everybody that's listening, you guys go support Demet. You can shop now at Demet.com. And that is D-E-U-X-M-A-I-N-S. So like de as in the French number for two, de. 
dirt and then like means means like I and that would be like something you would say down here in the south like I live on Maine's street even though that that's not I don't know how you just said our like how you just described our name though that's great (laughs) dirt like in the number two I'm gonna have to use that (laughs) yeah uh yeah so demand.com and you can use the code we've got a coupon code for you you can use the code molly and that gets you 15% off so you get to uh Get you a little something. You get to save a little money. It's all good. Okay, Julie, now is the part of the show where we just ask some fun, get to know you questions. All right, ask away. Julie, are you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) All right. So my question number one, I actually now know the answer to it based on something you said in this conversation, because the question was going to be, what is something I would never guess about you? And that was that you are a ballerina and you were trained and you performed with Cirque. So I just need to ask a follow-up question to that because this is so like, did you perform with Cirque du Soleil or was it like, like, explain to me the difference? Yes. Cheap spinoff called Cirque USA. That's who I worked with. (laughs) No, that's okay. I'm just curious. I don't think it's a cheap spinoff. You probably can do things Way better than I mean, you I, you can do things for sure that I can't do because let me tell you, Cirque life is amazing. I worked with families, I, a husband who was a clown, a, with a wife who's a contortionist, and kids who were jugglers. I mean, the most hardworking people on the planet. And I had the honor to work in a show called White the Light Beyond, and it was amazing. And um, I was a backup aerialist and dancer for that show, and yeah, it was super fun. And I have some of my best friends in my life because of Cirque. That so, I love it. is so cool. So and now you I did, can't even walk. Up, what, sorry, what? No, I was gonna say like now you say now you can't even walk upstairs without panting. Yeah, because, <laughs> so I'm definitely not in the same shape as I was before. But no, I get it. I I used to be a runner, and that is a very the key word there is used to be. Yeah, used to be, not so much anymore. I I exercise. I do farm work, and which I will tell you, farm work will kick your butt. Well, I was not, I knew that there was going to be like a physical exertion to living on a farm. Mm-mm, no. no honestly, when- after I watch your videos, like if you on the farm, I want to like drink a glass of lemonade for you. <laughs> but I also, if I ever visit you, I really want to ride on your tractor. Yes. And, yeah. You totally can. the guy who, who said that um, your husband should be handling all the farm equipment. Do you know how many times that this has now happened to me? Um, Quick digression. So we, when we were building our chicken run, um, I had to rent a, what's called a power auger. And until we did this, I had no idea what that was. So basically it's like a hole digger. Yeah. Like a post digger, but I will tell you, so it was a two, it was called a two man auger. Let's call it a two person. Cause I, I was one of the two. Um, But this thing is enormous and extremely heavy. And when you go to turn this thing on, like it is kind of terrifying because you're like, if you let go of this thing, like somebody's going to die because it's incredible. I mean, we did a we used a um, 10 foot power two person power auger. And so it was me and my husband, but I went to go pick it up from the rental place because I'm like, I'm we're not going to use it for other than like digging post holes. And I think you could rent it for like 60 bucks in a day, which is totally worth it rather than having to dig all those holes by hand. Anyway, so I go to the rental place and I go to pick it up. And the guy there at the rental place is like, well, let me show you how to work it so that you can show the person who's going to be using it. And I was like, well, I'm going to be using it. And he looked me straight in the eye and he goes, no, you're not. (laughs) And I said, yes, I am. 
And he was like, no, you're not. And I, I looked at him and I said, yes, I am. And I was like, Excuse me. <laughs> I am insulted. Tell you my business. You will not tell me why. I was. Yeah. Anyway, I also said a few other things. I did not say any bad words, but I may or may not have come back with a quip to him about like, I was like, excuse me. (laughs) Anyway, you're going to set them straight there sooner or later. Yeah, I I believe that's true. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, total digression. So, uh, but yeah, Um, so, so you did Cirque. So you were an aerialist. Like, I know, obviously, that means you're like in the air. Climb the ropes. You go, oh, ooh. I did the silks, not the ropes, because the rope is called Spanish web and it burns you. So I don't like that. But the silks, that's me. That's was, was, was me. That's so cool. <laughs> that's so cool. Okay. Anyway, I just wanted to ask about that because I'm, I, I love that stuff. Um, that's my, I hate Vegas. <laughs> don't come at me. Save your emails, guys. But I've had to go to Vegas for work trips more than I would ever care to like, I just Vegas is not my scene. Okay. I'm not a gambler. I don't smoke. I don't, you know, like, it's just like, I just get, I don't go to clubs. Okay. I'm just not a Vegas person. But my one thing that I love in Vegas are the Cirque du Soleil shows. So like, I'm all about it. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite Cirque show? Do you remember? Like- um, uh, um, oh, I finally got to see O the last time I was in Vegas and it was my husband didn't love it. He was like kind of bored, which I was like, how could you not love this? This is amazing because I'd want that was the only one that I had never gotten to see and I really wanted to see it. The other one that I love that I think is really underrated is Ka Um, and Ka is at what I can't remember what hotel is at, but um at watching it where like if if anybody listening has like seen Ka or heard of it so it's this you know the Cirque du Soleil show in Vegas but like the stage moves and like the stage goes from you know horizontal to completely vertical and so like people are doing all these like aerial moves on this moving stage like it's unreal yeah anyway no, I like as that's that's why I like you know working with these talented people and even even like the artists on stage, but the guys behind the scenes, and the guys that create the stage. It's crazy. I mean, it's magic, yeah. right? It's oh man, it's amazing. Um, okay, question number two. <laughs> that was just question number one. Um, so it is. We are like as of I think like when this airs, it's going to be like the next week is the start of the Olympics, and I don't know about you, I'm a big Olympics fan. I give me all the pomp and circumstance. I just, there's something about like watching the Olympics that gives you just so much like pride in your country. And like, there's just something inspiring about watching all like the most talented athletes and all these, you know, different sports come together and represent their country. And it's just, oh man, I love it. I can't wait. Um, So my question to you is if you could win a medal, in any sport, real or fake, what would you want to win a gold medal in? Well, gymnastics, because yeah. I was a gymnast a yeah. hundred million years ago. Yeah. So that's what kind of gave me the basis for my dancing insert career. Yeah. I, I mean, you watch these gymnasts now too, and you just, oh my gosh. I mean, off smacked, right? Like, I mean, I can't, literally my mouth is open the whole time. Like how many times did that girl just spin in the air? What just happened there? Simone Biles, I'm what? calling it now. She is going to yes. wipe the floor. With clean her body, <laughs> no one can touch her. No I one. Totally agree. She's I mean, unreal. She's incredible. She's basically incredible. like a superhero. Like in like yeah, 
in yes. tiny fashion. She's just, oh my gosh, she's amazing. I love watching her. And uh, the other girl, Jordan Childs. And I'm like, Biles and Childs. <laughs> Gonna carry us. Um. Anyway, yeah. Wait, what's your favorite? Uh, I would have to probably gymnastics, but I, I never did gymnastics, but I enjoy watching gymnastics. But uh, I love swimming. I love swimming. I love watching swimming. Um, I was a swimmer when I was younger. I also enjoy track and field, like the 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 dashes. So like yeah. forty meter dash, like hundred yard dash, that kind of stuff. Like I'm not really into the longer stuff or the like shot put. Nah, 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 nah. I don't know. After hundred yards, I'm kind of like, yeah. <laughs> I want to see like I want to see Shakari Richardson just again destroy everyone because of how fast she is um so i think she will i love it i love it okay uh also it's summertime and so people are starting to travel again now that you know people are moving about the world uh what is the best vacation you have ever taken oh easy and this was i was so lucky to get to go to jordan oh yeah and it was a surprise. My husband was working in Kuwait. I was still living in Haiti at the time. And um, and my husband surprised me for three days in Jordan. And at the time, I'm I'm not up to date with, with everybody right now, but at the time, there were more refugees w- living in Jordan than Jordanians. Mm. And people were so kind to each other. Mm. And I that is something that I will never forget um, is the kindness that uh, refugee, non-refugee that people had to each other. And I remember we slept in a Bedouin camp one night and it was all Egyptian refugees that were kind of running the camp. And my husband and I stayed up and we didn't speak the language, but they had one kernel of corn and we passed it around and all night long and just kind of sat by this fire. And in the morning, they took us on camels to um, Wadi Rum. I mean, it was just, it was, it was amazing. Wow. And then of course um, we went to the river Jordan hmm. and what kind of blew my mind about this was that it was on a military base and it was just not what I was expecting. You know, like I'm like, Oh, this is where Jesus was baptized. So you think it's like, you know, it's this holy sacred ground, but yeah. I'm standing on a military base and 10 meters across the river is Israel. And, and like we were supposed to hate each other for some weird reason, you know, like unexplainable, hmm. these, these, preconceived hatreds that people had of each other. And you're just trying to, you know, understand your place in this, you know, you feel so small in the, in the bigger story of all this, but then there is something just remarkable about it because at the end, you know, we just have to believe in the goodness of mm. and the kindness that we were, we were shown the entire rest of the trip, you know, and that, and that goodness of humanity, yeah. even among like the craziness. Mm, so I, Jordan, hands down, Jordan, 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 if you can go, go to Jordan. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. And then this is my last question that I ask all my guests. And that is Julie, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? Well, I don't know if I should say this, but you know, it gives me purpose to be, you know, I mean, I have so many great things in my life, but I feel so grateful and so humbled by the fact that I get to operate this business, you know, with my colleagues, my grandmother, my, my father immigrated from Italy. And my dad was five years old when he came here. And my grandmother couldn't read and write in her own language. And so when she came to America, of course, she couldn't uh, read or write. But she worked at the Comstock canning factory for 25 cents a day, picking the pits out of cherries. And I always think about what my grandmother sacrificed. And my father, of course, it's the American dream, was the first one in our family to go to college and all of that. And now her granddaughter is a part of a factory that is doing something very similar for our family, you know, bringing economy to Haiti. So I just have a lot of pride and a lot of gratitude for being able to be a part of Deme and our business with purpose. Mm. 
Man, I love that so much. Julie, this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for the work that you're doing and uh, for just such an incredible business that you have helped to just foster and grow along with so many other talented people. Thank you for being here. Oh, my. Thank you. Because if people didn't know about us, it wouldn't matter. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. I would love to know what you loved about this episode or if there was something that you learned. If you do, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use the hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Another thank you to our partner of the show, Mama Suds. Don't forget to use that code Molly for 15% off and shop at mamasuds.com. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are quite literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener, thank you for tuning in week in and week out. And thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, or basically wherever you listen to podcasts and click that subscribe or follow button to make sure you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you take a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review of the show helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. This show is produced by the incredible team at Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose.